Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 218 being recorded on Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, before we jump into it, we do have a pretty exciting announcement. We we tested uh, uh, about a month ago now, we tested a live event so with listeners, and that went really well. We had a lot of folks on and, and got a lot of really good questions and engagement from the community out there. So next week, we are going to do another one of those. Um, we use Zoom. Um, so uh, I think everyone's pretty familiar with Zoom at this point. Um, so put May 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, 6, 6 p.m. Pacific on your calendar. Um, in this episode's show notes, you'll find a link to that Zoom. And we'll be sharing the link on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all the socials. Um, so we hope you're able to join us and just kind of hang out, talk e-commerce, uh, see each other. We can't get together at conferences right now, so it'll be a lot of fun, and we'll we'll talk about whatever topics everyone's interested in talking about. Yeah, and if you have any questions, uh, feel free to send them to us in advance. Jason, how are you doing? This is probably the longest period of time you haven't been on a plane in 40 years. Uh, yeah, some, uh, maybe not quite that long, but yes, uh, I, I like to say I'm living the COVID dream. I just wish I could wake up from it. <laughs> are you frantically checking your tickets to make sure you don't have a flight tomorrow or are you, you're out of the, no, out of the mode? Uh, but there are still some like cruel reminders. Like there's, uh, uh, you and I were supposed to be in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken, doing a gig together this week, which I was very much looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And so like a reminder on my calendar will pop up for the check-in at the Marriott in, in uh, Flagstaff or whatever. And I'll be kind of sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I feel like the bigger question is how is my family doing? <laughs> because they're not used to quite so much Jason. Yeah. And uh, a little behind inside baseball, um, your son and I had a little mini star Wars podcast before this. That was fun. Yeah, he's been planning that all day. He was super excited. He found out I, that you and I had a podcast, and so he wanted to start a, a Star Wars one with you beforehand. So that was super nice of you. Uh, yeah, he, um, I'll give you, he asked, what is he, five, six? Four, four and a half. Four. He asked kind of like eight to ten-year-old Star Wars questions. So you're you're doing some good parenting. Yeah, I walked give by. you uh, A plus, five stars on parenting. Yeah, in the morning, I'll walk by, and he's having, like, morning meeting with his kindergartner teacher on Zoom, and uh, he's, like, explaining the nuances of of how Anakin got turned to the dark side by Palpatine, and that Palpatine was actually tricking him. He's like, "Uh, forget the alphabet. Let me tell you about Anakin. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like he's going to be illiterate, but super well-versed in the Star Wars universe. Hey, he'll, he'll do fine. Yeah, it's all. I, I uh, that's how I got here. It's all trade off. Uh, how are you guys doing in the pandemic? It has been a bit of a roller coaster over at Spiffy. On the personal side, fine, no, no, no issues. North Carolina has been pretty mild, uh, you know, from a 
pandemic perspective. So, but we're still sheltering in place and following all the good rules and all that good stuff. Um, but on the business side, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. The I don't know if you saw it or not, but we had uh, ABC. They do a show called Pandemic: What You Need to Know, um, and they did a, a about a four minute episode on us this week about uh, what they called the pandemic pivot. So we've had to. So a big segment of ours at Spiffy was rental car companies, and they're obviously feeling pain because folks like you aren't out renting cars. Uh, and then uh, another big segment of ours is office parks. So that was that was two big hits that we took. So we've been diversifying as rapidly as possible. And the ABC show highlighted we've moved into disinfecting vehicles. Um, but then also uh, one of our fleet customers asked if we would disinfect the facility. We said, sure. So we've added that as, as a pretty fast growing product line. Yeah. I So I'm a Get Spiffy fanboy. So I, of course I saw the ABC segment and – I will put a link in it in the show notes. Um, I think I have to put a link to like the Twitter post because the the link on the website isn't uh, perpetual. Uh, but that, I thought that was a totally cool story. It seemed like you both uh, expanded your offering. I wouldn't call like disinfecting vehicles necessarily a pivot for you. Uh, but then the, the facilities thing I thought was uh, very agile and clever of you. Yeah, when uh, desperate times call for desperate measures, so we we uh, put it out there, and then uh, you know the other benefit is being on national TV is very good promotion. So we've had a surge of activity this week. So that's we're kind of we've been down the roller coaster, and now we're kind of heading back up it here. Yeah, I uh, if you watch that that segment and then you click through, you have a facilities disinfecting landing page on your website now, and. Uh, um, it's super fun because there is a dude with a disinfecting cannon um, that seems like he can blast like seems like he could like disinfect an entire Costco from like one location with that thing. Yeah, we've invested in all these spray misters and all kinds of cool disinfecting technology. Yeah, I'll bet you you have learned some things you you didn't necessarily think you would ever uh, learn. It's true. As the software guy, I get over my skis a little bit on uh, chemistry, but hey, I can, I can at least say the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Bill Gates, I feel like, is a software guy that's pretty credibly uh, giving the pandemic talk. So if he could do it, you could do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you? Are you keeping one foot in retail? Are you following the catastrophe that is uh, uh, COVID news in retail? Or maybe we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. Uh, should we do some? Yeah, and we uh, we thought tonight um, we'd go through a little bit of news, um, just kind of catch up on some things we haven't been able to insert when we're talking to guests. But the the big news tonight that we want to really get to and spend a fair amount of time on is the Amazon results, or what I would also call, um, hey, shareholders, take a seat. So that was kind of a, we'll get to what that means here in a minute. <laughs> I like the I like the cliffhanger. Yeah. So, so two, before we get to Amazon, we want to just spend five to 10 minutes on some of the other things going on. And I've been dying to chat with you all week about these two. Um, and I really just want to tee it up to hear your, your thoughts. Uh, so the two big things, and I kind of put these both in, in kind of newish marketplace news. Um, so number one, Google shopping announced that they're bringing back free listings. They didn't announce it this way. That's a, that's my my framing. Um, but if you remember, I think it was 2012. So it started as this thing called frugal that was just free. Then they 
changed it to Google Shopping branding wise, and then that was paid and free. And then in like 2012, it became paid only. Then they had a brief kind of a, a flirtation with um, kind of a shopping kind of, ag- you know, uh, doing their own fulfillment kind of a thing. Um, and then kind of like, it's a good Postmates. So like a Postmates kind of a business model. Uh, they get rid of that. Um, and then now, um, so then it was just paid listings. And then now they're adding back in the unpaid listings. Um, and they talked about, uh, you know, the pandemic had accelerated their thinking and wanting to help small businesses. So that was one news. I kind of think uh, what's going on there is they've been investing a lot in this marketplace when your revenue from retail is way down, that's the best place to launch a marketplace because you can't really cannibalize. You've already cannibalized the, the ad revenue. So that's always been the big hurdle for them becoming a marketplace. Uh, also, during the pandemic, their shopping experience really, really suffered. So I tried to buy some paper towels and it was like going through the darkest alleys of the internet, uh, kind of up in the Google shopping there. Um, the other one uh, I wanted to ask you about is Shopify. So they they had this little app. Um, they moved their their notification of shipping to an app whose name Arrival or Arrive. I can't remember the name of it. Yep. Um, and that then they the just kind of that's the former name, and then they just kind of changed the name of Arrive or Arrival to Shop, um, and then they put a little bit of a front end on it. And everyone's always been kind of wondering, you know. What if Shopify became a marketplace? Um, so I know the Strategery guy, Strategery guy talks about this all the time, Ben Thompson. Um, he was like losing his mind. He was so excited. Um, so, but you know, uh, what, I know there, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I, I kind of think they're going to be a front door. They're going to kind of get into the discovery game. The challenge of that is when you have all these merchants, it, it, there's a data problem and I, I don't want to, I don't want to step on your toes. You may be wanting to talk about this, but how do you feel about those two things? And then we can kind of like chat about it more. Yeah, uh, it depends on how you look at both of them. So I, I think in and of their, the, uh, themselves, both of those pieces of news are like uh, kind of nothing burgers, right? Like they like neither one dramatically changed their experience or improved things in a in a way that's likely to be very meaningful to real consumers. Um, and so if that was the only thing you were ever going to see from Google about commerce or the only thing you were ever going to see from Shopify about marketplaces, I would say it was totally silly. What's what's potentially interesting and exciting about both is uh, that, you know, they could be sort of first initial steps into uh, much more significant commerce activities. Right. So that that's what would be exciting to me is if Google really invented um, a new experience around uh, marketplaces on their platform or uh, if Shopify really leaned in. But but uh, these two steps by themselves are uh, like not very significant in my view. Do you think they lead to something significant? Uh, I think we're going to see other efforts. I think the jury is going to be out. Uh, it's, it's interesting. They both suffer from similar problems in my mind. Like the the messaging about both is pretty muddled. So, like, start with Google Shopping. Like, you know, Google is an amazing company, and so it's always been totally shopping to me, shocking to me that their their shopping offering, like, the branding is always super confusing, and their naming conventions are constantly changing. Um, and it's it's like my job to keep up on this stuff, and I can't keep up, so I have no idea how how average consumers are um but 
So, for example, hey, uh, you know, they they did a press release with this like grandiose headline um, uh, uh, listings on Google Shopping is now free. It's now free to list your products on Google. Right. Um, And so there's a lot of people that were like paying a lot of money to list their products on Google. And they're like, wait, do I. So now everything I was paying for, I get for free, which is, of course, not not the case whatsoever. Essentially, what they've done is that, like, if you pay for a, what used to be called a product listing ad, um, uh, or you know, you uh, you do a Google Shopping listing, um, you that ad shows up in the shopping tab in Google, but it also shows up in blended search results in a bunch of other places. Um, and essentially, what they've said is, we're going to bring back organic listings, but only in the Google Shopping tab and only below the 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 paid ads. Um, and so, and they've never disclosed anything about what kind of traffic that tab gets. Um, and spoiler alert, when someone like Google won't tell you how much traffic something's getting, it's because it's not getting any traffic. Um, so like having an organic listing in that tab probably isn't going to get seen by anyone. Um, and so in and of itself, that doesn't seem like, a a very big change. And there's like something that I'm still unclear about there. There's a separate thing that used to be called Google shopping actions, which is the actual ability to complete a transaction within your ad unit, as opposed to just referring you to the commerce site to complete that, the transaction. And it's unclear to me whether these free listings, um, are enabled for Google Shopping actions or not, and if that's voluntary, for example, right? So, like, potentially the the listing is free, but then they're going to try to conduct a transaction that they're going to charge you a, a a commission fee on, for example. So, that's called a marketplace, and that's what's exciting. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm tingly all over. Yeah, but it's like I I haven't. No one's been able to articulate to me whether like is that. The case with all those listings, can you opt into that on a voluntary basis? Is that not an option that's available? It's the funnel. You got to you got to bring these free people in, get them addicted to a little traffic, and then you flip them into the marketplace. Yeah, it's a it's a great model. It certainly worked for the rest of Google and Facebook. Um, so so that one again, like kind kind of muddled, kind of overhyped. If if you just look at what it is now, um, but you know they uh, it is a a, a possible step towards a more significant marketplace. Four or five months ago, they did hire this guy, Bill Reddy, who was the COO at PayPal. Um, so, you know, maybe this is like one of his first initiatives to, uh, as president of commerce, to kind of get the commerce uh, ecosystem juiced. Um, and, you know, for sure, Google wants to have relevant search results when you search for products. And like increasingly, they were losing that that search to Amazon and if the only results you could get from Google are from advertisers that paid, like you're just not going to have a, a complete product catalog. So to me, this you know, it feels like the, the biggest benefit of this is to Google, which is to collect more uh, uh, product data to enable you to have better search results so that you can then monetize. Yep. Um, and then Shopify, I'm. I'm kind of concerned that I'm burning a bridge on Shopify <laughs> um, because Toby's going to kick your butt. Yeah. I feel like I had some negative comments on Twitter and in the press and uh, I wasn't smart enough to like not CC Toby on those comments. So I feel like my 
my uh, uh, Shopify fanboy status might get revoked. They're um, Canadian. They're super nice and forgiving. So yeah, okay. that's that's what I'm banking on. Um, and again, I would be interested in Shopify leaning into a marketplace. I think there there would, there would be some challenges for that, but there would be some intriguing things about that. Um, this is not that, right? So here's what here's why I was pretty negative is because six hours before this announcement, I was on Twitter in the middle of the night, as one does, following Shopify's uh, chief product officer, um, who made a tweet that, like, in the next few hours, we're going to announce our most significant product release ever. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's a pretty grandiose statement. I'm pretty excited to see what they launch. And so, you know, I'm every couple hours I'm waking up and I'm refreshing my feed to see what they announce. And then they announce this exciting new mobile shopping app, right? Um, and uh, at first I'm like, oh, okay, so this is going to be the... Uh, you know, we've we've complained for a while that Shopify actually isn't very good at mobile, right? So if you launch a Shopify site, uh, your desktop browser experience is likely going to be way better than your mobile browser experience. Your mobile browser experience does not have awesome performance. And Shopify has mostly ignored um, some newer web development standards that I think are pretty important for mobile, like progressive web apps. Uh, Toby's not a big fan. Um so I thought, oh, so their solution to mobile web is, I mean, mobile shopping is they're going to launch a new app that you can shop from. So a, that was a wrong assumption. It's called, it's called shop. It's, it's right there. It's, in the exactly. Name. It's called shop. So, so jump on this thing and I'm like, all right, let's see what the shopping experience is. Uh, spoiler alert, there is not a shopping experience. Um, as you mentioned, they, they rebranded a, a app for um, tracking shipments um, which I'll, I'll come to in a minute, is kind of an oily space. Um, and then in addition to tracking shipments, uh, it lets you favorite some of your Shopify merchants, and it will promote uh, some items from those Shopify merchants, uh, which you would then click to their website in order to browse or buy the individual items. Um, and it has a super limited experience for helping you discover some new merchants. Um, so... So a couple of things. Uh, first of all, if I download an app to track my my um, shipping status and it suddenly changes its name to shopping and is suddenly about merchant discovery, like I'm I am probably annoyed. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone was arguing with me on Twitter. They're like, no, it's genius. Like they built in an 18 million user user base from day one by repurposing this existing thing. And I'm like, oh, well, they should have bought like the words with friends app that had a hundred million users and made that the Shopify shopping app. If that's real, like, you know, they're, it, uh, it's not the same audience. You can't track packages worth word from friends. Yeah. So, so side note, there's a bunch of apps that exist in the world to help you track your packages. Um, and what they mostly want to do is scrape all of your e-commerce purchases from your Gmail and sell that data to evil marketers like Publicis. Um, so that's that's what most sh uh, shipping tracking apps uh, exist for. Um, and the the Shopify app, it's really weird because nobody shops or buys from Shopify, right? Like you buy from Beard Brand or Kylie Jenner, and you have no idea what platform they use to sell those goods to you. So A, like... Aggregating shipping information for all Shopify merchants 
makes no sense because that's not a context anyone understands. Um, and then they don't tell you this, but they do scrape your Gmail and uh, I and highlight all of your Amazon and Apple purchases, for example. So, like, not clear what the privacy policy is there, but you, at the very least, you're telling Shopify what else you buy. Um, and you know, in this age where we're all really concerned about what data we share with with whom, um, that's potentially interesting. And then the whole. Uh, so, so I'm like, look, this feels a little bit like bait and switch. It doesn't feel very shoppy. It's not a very like revolutionary experience, and it's it's really just a bookmark to e-commerce stores to jump you to an e-commerce site, and uh, you know, a bunch of of uh, Shopify defenders then jump in on Twitter and they're like, no, you have this all wrong. I'm Toby's personal friend. And um, this is all about the post-purchase experience. This is all about providing better customer service and driving greater lifetime value. It's not about the first-time shopping experience. Uh, and so then I'm like, all right, well, question one, why do you have a post-purchase experience called shop? That seems kind of dumb to me, it seems like. Because um, you just shopped. Yeah. It's and, obvious, Jason. Yeah, yeah, you get it more than me. That's the problem. Um <laughs> And then customer lifetime value for whom, right? Like if I'm Beard Brand, which is a great uh, uh, direct-to-consumer brand that happens to sell on Shopify, and I get a, I, a, tr- a market and get a bunch of customers that are customers of Beard Brand, um, and I want to provide them a great customer experience to know when their packages are going to arrive and all this stuff, like I don't want to sh- send them to a third-party um, not beard brand uh, branded experience that then is going to market other shops with competitive products to mine. Like it makes it makes no sense. If it's a lifetime value play, it's a lifetime value for Shopify, not for the merchants. And heretofore, one of Shopify's biggest strengths has been their, their position that unlike Amazon, they're they they're completely altruistic in terms of benefiting. The merchants, and this does not feel like it particularly benefits the merchants. So that's my devil's. I'll give a devil's advocate. Yeah, save me. Shopify gives merchants everything they need to be successful online, but if you kind of compared it next to Amazon or any marketplace, the place they're most deficient is aggregating demand. Um, So Kylie is fine; she doesn't need help. But if you set up Jason's Star Wars store, no one's going to find you on the internet, uh, except for like our five podcast listeners. Yeah, you and Stephen listeners. Stephen and I, and maybe like five of the people that that listen to this hobby that we have. And uh, um, so, you know, yes, they'll give you tools to go spend money. But what if they could say, look, you, you can opt into this marketplace and we will you will now show up in this front door that we've built. So I think, I think they will build a front door because they're going to view it as a way. That's what you get with Amazon. You essentially say, you know, I'm tapping into these you know, hundreds of millions of people that you, that you have captive there. So I think they're building that, but then also, you know, another, if we kind of line those things up, another area where they're deficient and we know they're investing a lot here is not only fulfillment, but a fulfillment subscription program. So, so I think that's, that could be, you know, between tracking packages and a front end is a big step. I think there's probably a middle step there where they say to folks, hey, 
you know, and, and they have this, this checkout flow where they could say to people, hey, we use this thing called Shopify. Would you like to join the Shopify shipping program and get free sh- two-day or one-day shipping? Kind of like – so they can be successful where like ShopRunner wasn't because they'll have a much better aggregation point in this app and in the checkouts of their aggregated merchants. So that's how I would do it. I would start at the end like they've done. They've got a, you know, they've got however many users of this app now. What is it? 80 million or something? Um, 18. Now you, 18. So now that's pretty good. That's more than ShopRunner. I think ShopRunner sure. had like. 475,000 of which have already written a review for the app, by the way, that launched yesterday. Amazing. Yeah. It's almost like they wrote a review for the old app. Hmm. And <laughs> then. Then, but that, that you have to admit that gives you a platform to launch a Prime Shopify Prime. Yeah, uh, I totally get it, and I think we're basically in alignment. Like, per my original comment, if this is an a first step, like there could be some really cool steps that fall on. And in my mind, the biggest mistake if if Shopify made a mistake is just overhyping this, right? Like, if they just said like, "Hey, we've got some super exciting aspiration." And like, you know, given the situation in the world right now, like we're going to like, you know, uh, release fast and iterate. And here's our first little step. Like, I feel like the reception would have been uh, universally favorable, but I feel like they oversold the, uh, this first step. And yeah, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. I'm, I have nothing against them. I'm rooting for them. Toby actually apologized. I can't find it now, but. Um, he essentially said, yeah, we had to put this out fast. So we had to strip down a lot of the functionality. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm, and I'm sure they have some cool stuff in the, in the works, uh, to make it more better. Um, I like, I totally get it. Like the one thing that Shopify doesn't provide is traffic. And this is a, you know, a, a much more mature version of this could potentially be a traffic driver for those merchants. And that could be a, a, a great trade-off, right? So if, if that's what happens, um, totally cool. I would just like, to me, Shopify and Amazon are not direct competitors. They're totally synergistic that like Amazon, the thing they do better than anything is get, give you eyeballs. Um, and Shopify, you know, uh, gives you the infrastructure to have your own presence on the web. Uh, if COVID-19 has taught Amazon sellers anything, it's that they shouldn't be single sourced on Amazon, like that they should have their own presence in addition to being on Amazon. So, you know, frankly, if I was this Shopify, is why they're rushing it out to compete with Amazon. I think yeah. they do themselves as yeah. I would be leaning Amazon. into man, we love Amazon too, but in addition to Amazon, like you, you, you should have a Shopify presence to have your own brand. And yeah, instead, not, like they're, I'm not following your argument. So you're, you don't think they compete, but then you do think they compete, and then you don't think they're helping merchants, but they are helping merchants. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I think you've summarized my Dude, position. Your cabin fever has messed up your logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I just I think their plane, strengths bro. don't overlap. I think their future is more, much more likely to overlap. Uh, but today, I'll take it. yeah. Anyway, uh, that was our uh, our thirty minute, ten minute segment. So yeah. on to COVID impact. Generally. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so while you've been saving the world at Get Spiffy, I mainly am giving these briefings on the likely impacts of COVID to all of our clients. Um, and I feel like my new job is that I'm the Grim Reaper. Maybe that's why you're in kind of a bad yeah, space. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, so how bad is it, Jason? Yeah, it's pretty bad. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to give everyone the whole uh, uh, Debbie Downer uh, hour briefing, but like some highlights to kind of frame the impact this is having on retail. Um, right now, there's about 630,000 retail businesses that have closed since March. So that's about 61% of all retail square footage in the United States. So a, a huge swath is just closed. Uh, like, obviously, you know, a bunch of that is is big national chains, but a lot of it is also independent um, uh, sole proprietor retailers. And on average, that sole proprietor retailer had 19 days of cash on hand. So the fact that they're now being forced to have zero uh, revenue for 30 or 60 days is pretty economically uh, catastrophic. So a bunch of those retail stores are never going to be able to reopen. Um, Forrester uh, like did a, a pretty good analysis on the on the U.S. Department of Commerce data that came out um, for March, and they said that basically, uh, hey, before COVID, sixteen percent of all e-commerce was online, as as uh, um, Forrester defines retail. Sixteen um, percent of all retail was online. Uh, for April, um, we project that 25% of all retail spending is going to be online. So um, a, a huge jump that likely would have taken five to 10 years just happened in one month uh, in terms of, of uh, digital transition. Um, that, if you, you uh, do some fancy math, that means that about 70% of all purchase decisions are are primarily digitally influenced. Like even if you do curbside pickup or pick it up in the store, you still use digital for the majority of your uh, your shopping journey. So so this is a huge uh, boon to digital shopping. Uh, before COVID, about 3% of groceries in the U.S. were purchased digitally. Uh, right now, 10% of all groceries are being purchased digitally. Um, so that... Uh, is kind of appealing. The problem is that that digital shopping behavior isn't close to enough to overcome the loss of brick and mortar shopping behavior. So Goldman Sachs um, has this uh, retail chain index that kind of tries to show uh, retail sales amongst national chains. And they said uh, that April, uh, all retail sales are going to be down by about 20%, um, which to put things in perspective in normal times, like a, Plus or minus like one to three percent is what you're used to seeing. So twenty percent down is several orders of magnitude worse than we're used to. Um, Shopper Track, which is this company that that uh, sells traffic monitoring equipment to a lot of chains, and they aggregate their data. They said all retail traffic is down by forty eight percent. So that right there is the seems pit. light to me. Do you think that's light? Like shouldn't it be like ninety percent? Yeah, uh, it's so, open. So well, so. Uh, it, Part of the problem is uh, ShopperTrack sells meters to some particularly big chains that, in general, tend to be classified as essential, right? So they're skewed by, like, Walmart and Target. Um, But but even in those stores that, like, their sales comps are way up at Target and Walmart, even in those stores, traffic is down. Both fewer people want to go to the store, but what they had to do pretty early in this um, pandemic is they're actually throttling traffic and not letting as many people come into the stores. Um, and probably don't have time to deep dive on that, but that's probably going to be the new normal in retail for like 18 months. Um, so a huge problem for retailers with a brick and mortar fleet is 
you know, you had some economic model where you were, you know, nominally profitable with the the amount of traffic you could entice to come in your stores. For the foreseeable future, you're going to have like half the traffic in your stores that you're used to. Um, and uh, it's and therefore, you know, profits are going to be super challenged. So most most retailers in America, even if they're allowed to open, are really going to have to lean into digital sales and curbside pickup to augment uh very soft brick and mortar sales because we're just not going to be allowed to have the density in the store uh, that that we used to in the boom times before COVID. Um, so add all that up and a bunch of retailers are going out of business, right? So um, like the ones that are already being talked about in the media, uh, uh, there's rumors that J. Crew could file this weekend. Uh, Neiman Marcus has like uh, skipped a bunch of their um, interest payments and and uh, is talking to lawyers. Um, J.C. Penney is skipping payments and talking to lawyers. Uh, they're they're a smaller chain, but Tuesday morning is a Dallas based uh, a value oriented chain that's uh, apparently talking to lawyers. Um, Lord and Taylor was acquired by um, the footwear guys, um, and now that looks like that. They're going to have to go into bankruptcy again. Uh, confounding all these bankruptcies is that it's kind of pointless and difficult to file bankruptcy right now. Like ordinarily, you'd file bankruptcy, you'd do some kind of liquidation sale, try to get some value for your assets and see if you could restructure. And at the moment, you you can't do a liquidation sale. Um, so, And I bet the courts are jammed up because yeah. there's a lot of... Yeah, you know, all these restaurants open. filing bankruptcies, and there's just like a lot of business churn right now. Yeah, and the, and the dockets are just moving slower because the courts aren't business as usual right now. So so for so it's it's a very weird time. Um, but there's a bunch of retailers that are at risk. Um, there's this company. If you ever want to invest in a company that does well in bad retail times, it's this company called Gordon Brothers. So they're the guys that. Uh, execute all these liquidation sales for all these retailers. Um, and uh, they have come out and said, hey, we think 25,000 uh, retail stores and 100,000 restaurants are likely to permanently close this year. Um, so an ordinary year for retail would be like 5,000 retail stores closing. A bad year for retail would be like 8,000 closing. And, and you know, some closing is healthy because there's this churn, um, but 25,000 would be pretty unprecedented. And then the restaurants are almost unimaginable. Um, and then a, a different spin on that same premise is that UBS, uh, they kind of looked at this and said, hey, this is going to facilitate a permanent shift to e-commerce. So we think uh, that we're permanently going to see this shift from 15% e-commerce penetration to 25% e-commerce penetration. Um, and that's going to force a bunch of stores to close to keep the equilibrium. And they did the math and said, basically, that means we need to close 100,000 retail stores by 2025. Um, so, so that means you're in that 15 to 20,000 stores going out of business, uh, closing every year for the next seven years. Um, yeah, so that is, uh, the super doom and gloomy portion of my normal briefing. I like to, um, always, uh, end on a slightly happy note. Um, <laughs> and so the happy note. I was going to ask, do you get invited back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Like, uh, if you pay me, you get the second half of the story, which is what I think you should do to survive and thrive in that climate. Um, ah, but but even if you don't pay me, uh, the one happy trend in all this is you can no longer adopt a pet because all the pets have been uh, adopted from all the shelters. So lots of uh, deserving uh, furry friends uh, have a new home, um, which in and of itself is super happy. Um uh, there's a bunch of metrics to look at to talk about this, but but one simple one is uh, search volume on Google for adopt a pet is up 335. percent um, The a fun ramification of that is we now have the the largest cohort of new pet owners in the United States of America that we've ever had, um, and of course they all learned how to get their pet food and cat litter and all their supplies via e-commerce. So if you're a, a you know, in, uh, in e-commerce in the pet space or pet adjacent, you know, uh, you probably have a pretty bright future at the moment. Yes, sir. Cool. Well, a couple other kind of what I would call green shoots uh, in the, uh, from, I've had a lot of time to watch CNBC. So a couple of things interesting there. Um, Apple and Google results were not as bad as expected. And you may think, what's that have to do with anything? But, um, you know, Apple actually, it's going to start opening their stores here and that will be good. And then, you know, people were expecting gloom and doom from these two folks and it wasn't as bad as expected. So, so that indicates that, you know, maybe this mix of things isn't quite as bad and we're going to kind of come through this faster on the other side. Um, Simon properties announced a plan to open a bunch of malls. Um, And then I had a question for you. Everyone talks about BOPUS and now there's curbside delivery but the IS and BOPUS is in store, right? So I propose we come up with a new term just to be clear. So we have BOPUS. What if we had BOPAC, uh, buy online, pick up at curb? Do you like that? I do. Unfortunately, I have to tell you, I believe you BOPAC. independently invented that, but you are not the only one to have invented that. Shucks. Yep. How about in the UK, they have click and collect. How about click and curb? You are the first person I've heard to invent that. Um, um, I'll add one to that vernacular trademark. though. Like we talk a lot about curbside pickup and that like, if you're a store with a parking lot, curbside makes a lot of sense. Uh, but a lot of stores don't have their own parking lot. Like if you're in a mall, um, or you're in an urban center, you might not have your own parking lot. And so curbside pickup may not work. Um, and so I've, I've heard a lot of stores that have launched a door side pickup, meaning we don't let customers in the store, but come to our front door with your, your quick, uh, your, your QR code and we'll, we'll deliver your order to you in a touchless way. I propose we call that BOPAD. Yeah, absolutely. BOPUS, BOPAC and BOPAD. Yeah. Uh, cool. can't have Trademark. enough good acronym. Trademark Jason and Scott Show. Yeah. Uh, and side note, like based on, uh, how things recovered from SARS in China and in 2003, when we had kind of a, um, th- this kind of quarantine and what we're seeing in China right now, um, which is maybe two months ahead of us, uh, you you want to learn those acronyms because uh, uh, curbside pickup or doorside pickup are going to be a a super important part of the retail shopping experience for the foreseeable future. And like probably as customers learn how to do it and retailers get better at it, like probably forever. Yeah. So another interesting kind of thing to keep an eye on is, and this is again from watching CNBC, um, you know, in the first weeks of the pandemic, everyone was talking about a V-shaped recovery, and then it was kind of like a U, and now it's like a long L. But if you 
there's enough data out of China that it looks like it's been a very sharp V recovery there. So uh, you know, another kind of yeah. thing to be slightly optimistic. Uh, I don't want to burst your your death bubble, but something to be slightly optimistic about. Yeah. So so I, like so what I've actually like when you dive into it, what's interesting is some segments, some categories of product have been very V shaped in China. And other segments have been very U-shaped. So it has not, like, not everything has come back at the same rate, which is interesting, and not necessarily what you'd predict. So there was a there was a theory in China that there would be a ton of revenge shopping, like that as soon as you were allowed back in the store, everyone would rush back to their old vices. And in some cases, that has happened. And in other cases, it's it's recovering very slowly, like primarily because both in China and here, uh, consumer confidence is at all time low. People are super concerned about the economy. It's pretty uh, obvious that we're going to come out of this in a in a deep recession. Um, and so all of those things tend to make the recovery slower. Uh, the The most terrifying letter that I'm hearing is not U or V or L. It's W. Um, and that is because there are a lot of places where they thought they were through the worst, opened back up and then saw re-emergences of the virus. And now, and in the height of irony, um, foreign travelers are traveling back to China and bringing the virus back to China with them. Um, and so, like, the the worst thing to happen here is this W-shaped recovery where sales start to recover and then get knocked back down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm optimistic it's going to be... I'm going with a sharp V. I'm going to be the optimist on this show. I, I, I think that's smart positioning and I admire you for it. <laughs> well, cool. Well, let's jump into Amazon results. Um, so, uh, so it was an interesting setup coming in because eBay uh, actually had a really good quarter. They got a new CEO. So eBay's got a little momentum in the e-commerce world. You had this kind of you know, super dark clouds like Jason highlighted there. Um, and then we had Amazon results tonight. So we want to walk you through those. So just to kind of frame this up, this is Amazon's Q1 results. So it covers January, February, and March. Uh, we're recording this, you know, very late April. So we have kind of a whole nother month of, of knowledge based on what happened in that quarter. Um, but just kind of, you know, time is getting really warped oddly, at least for me in this pandemic state. So just kind of put some dates out there. California was one of the earliest states to do shelter in place slash quarantine, whatever you want to call it. And they did March 19th and then New York, the 20th. And then the other states kind of came in there um, all the way through as late as April 1. And I think Alaska was the latest at like April 3rd or something like that. So, so you really only had, you know, call it, 20 days out of the 90 day quarter. So whatever two ninths is um, from a math standpoint. Um, so, so it's really only kind of 15 to 20% of the quarter was impacted by the pandemic and it happened so fast. It wasn't like this kind of slope into it really. So that being said, the results were a little mixed. So um, had a clear beat on the revenue side. Um, and I think Q2 is just going to be, tremendous if if they only had you know 20 days of this in q1 and they had a significant beat q2 is just going to be they're just going to destroy q2 we'll, we'll see how that goes um but the the negative was to to achieve that they had to do really heavy spending on fulfillment and my guess is what happened here is amazon is an extremely well-run company and one of the downsides of being extremely well done is you you have the impact of like a, you know a cyber monday in 
in you know for 10 days at the end of March, the system wasn't planning for that and prepared for it. So it probably took it a while to flex. And, and you know, what you have to do is you have to say, well, we weren't really ready for that. So we're going to have to eat some shipping fees. We're going to have to run a bunch of extra shifts. We didn't have people for, we have to eat some overtime where, you know, those are the kinds of things that just ramp cost way up because they they're probably really good at predicting. This is what revenue is going to be. This is the exact number of people we need in trucks and fulfillment centers and all that. And then when revenue kind of surges 30%, it can kind of blow that up and take you a while to, to catch up. So, so that was kind of the mixed part of it. Um, Let's see another thing. So, so that also kind of flowed through margins in the bottom line, and we'll get into specifics. Um, we'll talk about AWS. That was interesting. A lot of people think the stock trades more on AWS even than all the other parts. I'm a little skeptical about that. Um, but you know, just kind of the early read, and we'll know more about this when the podcast lands. But here tonight, the stock was down five percent, and you know, you always see these news reports: Amazon misses bottom line, stock down five percent. Well, the stock's been up thirty percent year to date, and it was actually up five percent during the day today. So it just kind of like went back down to the price before. It takes people a while to digest these things and see what's going on. So we are going to dig, uh, so that's the high level. So we're going to dig into the quarter, um, go through some of the results, and then at the end we'll have uh, a detailed and super intellectual analysis. So Jason, run us through the the headlines on revenue and profits. Yeah, happy to. I'm just hoping you're signed up for the super intellectual part at the end. Um, revenue uh, was a happy story. So global revenue came in at $75.5 billion which is up 27% year over year uh, once you take out currency fluctuation. Um, and that's actually a faster rate of growth than Q4, which was a 21% growth. So 27% revenue growth in this in this quarter that, as you explained, is kind of only partly influenced by COVID is, is a, a happy story. Um, Wall Street was looking for $73.7 billion, so that's a beat. Uh, and uh, the high end of Amazon guidance for the quarter was $73 billion. So, um, so like from Wall Street's perspective, the revenue was a great story. And then as you alluded to, um, the, the downside of the story was profitability, right? So gross margin for the quarter was 41.3%, which was below Wall Street's consensus expectation of 42.5%. So that's a miss, Um largely for all the reasons you talked about, like they just incurred a bunch of extra costs uh, and um, uh, therefore like didn't hit their margin goals. Um, So that means operating income came in a little bit below their goal. I think it was like, it's right around $4 billion. So I think it actually came in at 3.99 billion um, uh, versus a goal of 4.1 billion um and uh shipping costs which always grow rapidly for amazon uh grew like at a an accelerated rate so shipping costs were up 49 percent year over year previous quarters we saw like 43 percent up so cost of shipping went up even faster there's still a hangover effect you know remember it's not that long ago that amazon really leaned into one day delivery and so costs kind of went up for that as well so uh, a perfect storm of negativity on the profit side. Yeah. And when you, when you dig into that revenue, uh, Amazon used to give a lot more color here and now they really only give you kind of the geo split. Um, so North American revenue came in at 46.1 billion. That was a 29% year over year growth. So, so again, I, you know, we haven't seen numbers during the pandemic, but coming into this e-commerce was growing 
12 to 15 percent is that kind of what you've seen jason yeah i think like u.s department of commerce or comscore would say like yeah right in the 15 percent right now yeah so yeah so here you have you know amazon accelerating up to 29 percent and and the the acceleration the way it is if if you look at the year-over-year growth from q4 they're at 22 percent so then they they ramped up to 29 percent so that's that's a you know more than a third increase in the acceleration of growth, which is just, it's just really, a, it, it's hard to put that into, it's hard to wrap your head around it. Um, Cause I know we're talking about 22 to 29. Wow. Big deal. But this is, this is at a $46 billion quarterly rate, you know, and those accelerations, they're just like, I did the math one time and they were gobbling up like 10 JC pennies, you know, a, yeah. a point of, of growth. I, I don't know what that math is now, but it's just kind of, amazing that's the problem like you you hear that those kind of growth rates all the time but you hear them from the smallest companies (laughs) in the industry like not from the overwhelmingly largest company in the industry yeah there's the rule of large numbers that amazon seems to be able to defy which is which is pretty amazing um international revenues came in at 19.1 billion um that's 20 percent growth all the numbers i state are um in constant fx or what they call xfx taking out the um, fluctuations of financial or uh, uh currency fluctuations uh so the the so international grew at 20 percent um, that was also a material tick up in fourth quarter the international growth rate rate was 15 percent um one of the units of measure everyone looks at uh, with Amazon that's interesting is called the unit growth rate. Um, that accelerated to 32% year over year. Um, and in fourth quarter, it was at 22%. So that that's kind of the fastest growing metric here that went from 22 to 32. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that accelerated more than revenue. And what that indicates is uh, ASP, came down and Amazon talked about that a little bit. I think they said, yeah, the mix really shifted a lot this quarter to essential goods. So you can imagine toilet paper, paper towels, face mask, you know, all these kinds of things. They they have a lower ASP than, you know, buying Blaze digital camera or something like that. So 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 that was an interesting aspect of the quarter. On the prime side, um you know, this is one of the growth rates that didn't accelerate materially. It grew 29%. This is tucked into a, a, a footnote called subscription services revenue. Um, it includes some other things, but it's mostly prime. Um, so that grew 29%. And then in fourth quarter, that was 32%. What you have to realize is the fourth quarter usually almost doubles. So I think like if you looked at the third quarter, it was like 16%. And then because of the holiday, you have all these people signing up for Prime. So then it surges and then it usually goes back down to kind of like about half the rate of Q4. So it actually kind of hovered at that Q4 rate. So while it's not an acceleration, um, it's pretty much signing up Prime members at a holiday pace. So so that that's, you know, I think that that's probably the most material metric in here that just kind of, you know, this has brought all these new Prime people in. They're going to get addicted to the Amazon experience post pandemic and they're just going to kind of raise the, 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 the sea level of, you know, so, so to use your setup that you said at the top of the show, you know, if we do get to that 25% of sales are, are online, Amazon's going to get a disproportionate chunk of that because they can get everyone addicted to prime. Third party marketplace. Um, the mix there, it has been hovering around 52, 53%. Um, so even with all this going on, um, still a lot of activity on the third party marketplace. 52% of units were from that. Um, 
one of the one of the big Amazon things I wanted to kind of inject here, not not specifically related to the quarter, is there is a lot of noise. Um, so there was a congressional hearing, and some ex Amazonians and then some current ones got got asked a lot of tough questions about Amazon's private label business. And in there, and I haven't read the specific thing. Maybe you have, Jason. They they kind of let you know they kind of quote unquote let slip that they absolutely do look at third party data to come up with a lot of these products. So, so that was kind of blew up in a New York times article that, you know, Amazon has said for years, they don't do this. And now there's proof that they, they do. Um, and then, you know, one of the Amazon lawyers was like, yeah, but you can't know what's in our heart or something like that. And that, that caused it to get even more negative PR that they kind of like, they didn't intend to, but it just kind of happened. So that, that didn't sound very, <laughs> very apologetic, I guess. <laughs> so, so there's, there, you know, it's kind of tucked into politics a little bit. So this, then this whole thing like kind of rolls into some politics going on, but, but that was interesting because, you know, Amazon has said for a long time, they don't look at that data. I think everyone kind of knows from a practical standpoint, you know, how do you, how do you go research? A, so, so let's say we were in charge of, I don't know, Amazon private label batteries. I mean, you're not going to look at Amazon's data. You're going to look at, Walmart's and Best Buy's, but not your own. It just doesn't seem practical for a lot of different things. Um, what did you think about that article? Yeah. Um, so again, like Amazon has um, a number of PR challenges, and that's certainly one. And they testified to Congress that they weren't doing that. So um, that that like creates some legitimate concerns for them. Like, um, there's part of me that's like, this is nothing new that hasn't been going on in retail for 60 years. Right. And, and uh, I mean, private label and lately exclusive products like target is wildly successful at creating their own products. Um, and there's nobody that doesn't think targets not using uh, the sales data they get from national brands to influence what, what products they make. So it's a little bit weird uh, that Amazon gets singled out for this. Like I, you know, I feel like a lot of other retailers are benefiting from Amazon being the boogeyman now, like even when they they all engage in a similar practice. Um, so to me, like I don't look at that as a super nefarious thing, but I certainly understand why uh, you probably shouldn't testify in front of Congress that you're not doing something um, that <laughs> that you are, I guess. Uh, I, I did want to like uh, one slight piece of color on two of the other things, like just talking about the the revenue growth that you talked about one of the things that's impressive in that is once COVID kicked in, there's a lot of evidence that Amazon was doing everything they could to slow down sales, right? So, you know, they they certainly reduced their shipping promises for non-essential goods. Um, but the more interesting thing is they turned off all of these like suggestive selling features and recommendations. And it really seems like when you buy stuff from Amazon right now, a lot of the, the successful tools they use to try to uh, increase your basket size, they're... they're intentionally not doing right now. So that revenue growth, all the more impressive concerning, they probably didn't use their full arsenal uh, to, to sell. Um, and then the, the thing that's interesting to me on prime is going to be there's now is this uh, event every year that really gooses prime membership, which is prime day. Um, and nobody knows what's going to happen with prime day this year. Like well, most of us believe at best, it's going to get postponed. Um, I think it's unofficially already been announced that it's going to get postponed, but you know, you wonder what's going to happen uh, with that this year. Um, so interesting stuff to watch. 
as you know, the category of revenue uh, that I like to always pay attention to is the super excitingly labeled other revenue. Um, and the, the, the reason I'm interested in other is because other is primarily Am- Amazon's advertising business. So the ads, the revenue they generate selling ads on their platform, um, that, that was the fastest growing piece of the revenue. That's, that grew at 44%, which is a, a, a significant ex- acceleration. Um, that amounted to like $5.56 billion for the quarter, um, you know, it's uh, it, it needs to be seasonally adjusted. But if if that's a uh, a twenty billion dollar advertising run rate, uh, to put that in perspective, Google does like forty one billion in advertising. So um, that that they're becoming a, a a significant number three advertising platform behind Google and Facebook. Um, and I uh, I'm spacing in my head is Google that's Google does like forty one billion in a quarter, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yep. so twenty billion versus one hundred and twenty billion. So, uh, uh, still, you know, still uh, not uh, still far away, but but by far the third largest advertising platform out there. Um, so that that makes them much bigger than like a Snap or a Twitter or um, uh, some of those folks, and it's way higher margin than all these other services. Um, yeah. The growth rates are pretty interesting. So Google's growing at, you know, Google and Facebook are growing, you know, kind of mid-teens. So call it 13 and 17%. So, but Amazon's continued to grow kind of in this 40%. So, yeah, if you chart it out, they'll eventually catch up. It's going to take a while. But, you know, you know, you and I were saying that about Walmart for like five years. And then like, sure enough, five years later, they did. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the amazing thing about, about Amazon is they, you know. You, you can kind of set these trajectories at five and 10 year cycles. And you and I have been at this long enough that you're like, crap it. They just kind of did it. You know, they got there. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a place where the law of large numbers probably is working right in the, the much lower growth of those bigger, bigger players. But like, what's also interesting, not only is Amazon potentially catching them, um, but Amazon's catching them with a mixed revenue model where they, they have a diversified set of revenue which is way better than being uh, exclusive, exclusively um, a single source on the advertising revenue model, which is essentially the position that the Google and Facebook are in. So if if Amazon ever caught them, uh, they would caught them, they would catch them with a much uh, a more robust um, business model than than uh, uh, the the Facebooks and Googles of the world. So. That is is super interesting, and it has all kinds of ramifications. Every other retailer is trying to figure out how, like, this is another, like, huge competitive advantage for Amazon. Uh, you can operate on lower retail margins when you're supplementing that revenue with all this ad revenue. And so if you're Amazon's retail competitors, you're trying to figure out how you get your share of that, and it's very difficult. Um, the the other piece of revenue that everyone total fo- totally follows that I tend to think is overhyped, you alluded to earlier, is the AWS business. Um, and AWS is an awesome business. There's no question about that. Um, revenue for this quarter in AWS was uh, $10.2 billion, which is 33% growth, which is um, uh, a slight deceleration, I think. Uh, I think they were like 34% last quarter, but, it, but it's been consistently... Uh, growing, but but at a slower rate, um, which again is probably the the law of large numbers. Now, what is interesting this quarter is uh, margins um, were considerably up for AWS. Um, so they're up to 
30.1% versus 26% last quarter. So that's a a meaningful increase. Um, The the reason I say overhyped, despite the fact that AWS is this great business, it's a great business that's segmented in the earnings statement so you can see it by itself. And so everyone tends to look at that and go, oh, that's where all the profit is in Amazon. And the retail business, for example, isn't profitable. Um, And as you and I know, and as we always try to teach listeners on this show, uh, you really can't think of the retail business as one business. There's a bunch of business models in there. And some of those business models are probably even more profitable than AWS. So, you know, I think of, for example, the 3P side of Amazon's business as uh, as being um, a much larger piece of revenue than AWS at similar uh, gross margins. So, uh like I, w- I would not turn down the AWS business if someone offered it to me, but it's not the only um, jewel in Amazon's crown. Um, they obviously in their earnings hyped up a lot of the ways that AWS is uh, being helpful in the fight against COVID-19. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of educational tools that they're giving away free to teachers. Uh, they're, they're providing a lot of data and processing power to researchers all over the world to help fight COVID, which is interesting. Um, the other revenue class uh, that I'm always interested in is brick and mortar retail. Um, and uh, so brick and mortar retail this quarter for Amazon was up 8%, which is super interesting because the last quarter and for the last several quarters, brick and mortar retail had actually shrunk at Amazon. So it was down 1% last quarter. This quarter, it's up 8%. Um, and that's actually remarkable because uh, there's a super important piece of uh, COVID-friendly revenue that isn't in that number. So if you think of all the people that are now having Whole Foods uh, delivered at home and you go, oh, Jason, yeah, Whole Foods is selling way more stuff as a result of COVID-19. And that's why brick and mortar retail uh, revenue is up. That would make total sense, except that in Amazon's world, if you place the order for those groceries online and then pick it up curbside or have it delivered to your house, that's not considered brick and mortar revenue. So this 8% is actually people that paid at a cash register in a in a Whole Foods store. And so um, interesting that that jumped so much this quarter um, and potentially bodes well for Amazon, given that they kind of had lost ground there. And and historically, what they've said is, oh, yeah, we lost ground because we shifted a bunch of people to digital. So this quarter, more people than ever shifted to digital, and they were still able to grow brick and mortar revenue, which is interesting. And and along those lines, um, I forget the count, but I want to say there are like 340 Whole Foods stores in the country. They're only delivering groceries out of 80 of them when when this whole thing started. Um, and so like, well, uh, it gets a lot of buzz. The amount of groceries Whole Foods delivers versus like a Walmart is, um, is tiny. And what is interesting is that, uh, uh, being the great operators that they were, they were able to expand from 80 stores delivering groceries to 150 stores delivering groceries during COVID. So they added a lot of infrastructure very quickly to sort of beef up their, their curbside pickup and grocery delivery presence. Um, and, uh, a little fun fact, I've been talking for a while about this new grocery concept that Amazon was working on and getting ready to open in LA. And it probably was scheduled to open during this and did not open. But what's interesting is that that store in Woodland Hills has a, a, a unique technology in it for optimizing grocery packing. And it's called the micro fulfillment center. It's kind of a, 
a robotic e-commerce site that's inside of a grocery store for for filling grocery orders. And what they've done with that store, they haven't opened it, but they're using it as a dark store and they're delivering groceries out of um, that that store, which is is kind of cool. Um, so sure, we we call this a uh, uh, cloud store. Yeah, like a cloud kitchen. Sure. Sure. Uh, cloud that's a, store. I feel like dark store already existed, but yeah, I'll go cloud store for you. We could call it a buy online ship from cloud. Bop, bop. Yeah. Be careful. Need to work on that one. Uh, when you wing those, <laughs> those acronyms, like during the show, be. you're going to come up with some profanity. I know that's, it keeps listeners on edge. They love it. Awesome. Um, Is Scott going to mess up? Exactly. So that was kind of the, the story on retail. Oh, yeah. So I know we're uh, bumping up against time. So I'll zip through this pretty quick. Uh, uh, you know, in Wall Street's mind, it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? So, oh, Q1's over. Tell us about Q2. Um, so Amazon did put out guidance for Q2, which is interesting because a lot of companies have just essentially said uh, they've got done what's called, quote unquote, withdrawn guidance, meaning, hey, so much is going on. I, I have even, I don't even know what to tell you. So, uh, you know, We'll, we'll see how the quarter shapes up. Um, Amazon did put guidance out there and they said Q2 is going to come in at 75 to 91 billion. Um, and just kind of as a reminder at the top of the show, Jason said we did 75 billion. So, so kind of, you know, at least as good as Q1, but with a fair amount of upside to that, that 91 billion number. Amazon has had a history of kind of coming in at or above the top end of their guidance at the midpoint there, that would be 23% your, your growth. And, you know, kind of, again, we're kind of growing at 27% here. So I do, I feel like they're sandbagging a little bit there and they're going to come in at the high part of that. Um, Wall Street was at 78 billion. So kind of in line with what they were thinking, they've been creeping that up as, as the pandemic stuff's happened. Um, the big surprise to Wall Street, and this may be why Amazon always goes through these invest and harvest cycles. This was a signal that, Hey, we are going into the mother of all invest cycles. Um, and they essentially said, hey, uh, Q2 bottom line is going to be a range of minus one and a half billion to positive one and a half billion. So kind of a three billion range there. That doesn't sound crazy, but what Wall Street was expecting was more like four billion. So they, they effectively said to Wall Street, I know you were thinking we're going to make four billion next quarter, but we're actually going to possibly spend all that and another one and a half billion and essentially invest five and a half billion dollars that quarter. Um, so in uh, so that kind of takes us to the analysis color commentary. So in the note to shareholders, uh, it's usually a lot of fluff in there, but there was this really interesting line where Bezos said, uh, and I'm going to quote this quote, if you're a shareholder in Amazon, you may want to take a seat because we are not thinking small. So, you know, I don't know what that means, but it kind of says to me, everyone interpreted it different. Um, it says to me that they have, they see the surge, they think it's going to stick and they're going to just like, you know, invest like we've never seen before into that, that invest mode. Um, so, so that's going to be really interesting to, to look at. Um, and they specifically called out in Q2, they're going to make over $4 billion investment. Um, and they, called it into COVID related activities and you're, you're going to break that down for us. Um, so let's see. So it's going to be interesting. You know, how much of this do they spend on COVID related stuff? How much is in shipping and fulfillment centers that, you know, um, you know, they, they've talked a lot about how they're going to hire hundreds of thousands of folks. So, um, so that's interesting. Um, 
Jason, what, what did you pick apart from some of the color there? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like just thinking about that top line, like I was terrified when I read that. And the, the reason I was terrified is because, um, you know, there are a bunch of retailers that are going to go out of business and Amazon's going to spend a fortune grabbing all of that share. Um, and a bunch of retailers that don't go out of business are going to implement like extreme austerity measures and spend no money. So like their uh, share of voice, their their um, customer awareness, all that stuff's going to go down. Um, and like every dollar Amazon's able to invest right now is going to work harder than it would at any other time. Like so the fact that they're like preparing investors for a, a, a major investment cycle um, is terrifying because they're like nobody's going to be in a position to sort of match those kind of moves in this climate. Um, so that's going to going to be, you know, uh, I suspect like very in the long run, very successful for for Amazon. So if you're a long term investor, like probably don't lose too much sleep over the the lack of, of profitability in the short term. Um, the uh, they they did say that they expected that the COVID related expenses here are going to be like four billion dollars, um, and they they broke some of that out. Like one of the most interesting things that they broke out was that they're spending about three hundred million dollars to open their own COVID nineteen testing lab, um, and this is a interesting uh, play. Um, other retailers are partnering with labs and trying to like acquire more testing capacity, but Amazon's the only one that's trying to like build their own supply chain for testing. And the stated reason they need this is they need to be able to test all their employees so they can uh, quarantine ones that are positive and let all the other ones know that they're safe. Um, and so, in terms of uh, keeping their their workforce working and and healthy. Um, they they need this extensive testing capacity, so they're they're mostly building this capacity for their own employees. Um, but then they do kind of say, and if we have any leftover capacity, maybe we would sell that uh, to someone else. Um, and if that sounds familiar to you, uh, that would be because that was the sort of germ behind the launching of uh, uh, AWS and fulfillment by Amazon and. Uh, uh, you know, potentially a bunch of other services. And so you like, are we now facing some future when like Amazon's going to be the largest like uh, healthcare provider in the, in the world as a result of like all this infrastructure they're originally building for their own internal needs. Uh, you can imagine here's your package, Jason, stick out your tongue swab. Thanks. Have a good day. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And so again, there, that's a cost, but that's a cost that could have a significant return. There are a bunch of other COVID costs that are like our pure costs. Um, so a big one is they've just said, hey, fulfillment centers are going to have to be less efficient because, you know, Amazon is historically um, super aggressive about optimizing efficiency. And so what they'd want is the workers to walk the shortest distance from the product to shipping. And, uh, you know, they really optimize every minute of labor in that warehouse. But those practices are not very social distancing friendly. And so they're now having to like intentionally space employees out more for safety. And that means they're they're not going to be as efficient. So there's uh, hard costs associated with that. Um, they're they're going to provide uh, per, uh, personal protective equipment for all of their employees, and that has a significant cost. Uh, they're they're going to you know they they've invested in a arsenal of um, of uh, like uh, 
uh, thermal cameras for taking temperature to monitor the temperature of all their employees and stuff like that. So there are a bunch of these extraneous costs that they wouldn't otherwise need, but that they're going to incur because of COVID. And so they're saying along with the testing that that might all roll up to $4 billion in expenses, but they're also hiring a heck of a lot more folks. That's another potential long-term advantage if they're able to hang on to those folks. They're paying people more. Uh, a really interesting you know, piece of speculation is like, are these uh, increased salaries going to end up being permanent or are, you know, are they eventually going to be able to uh, drop down to the lower salaries? Uh, time will tell on that one. Um, but uh, like, you know, the clearly there's going to be a lot more shift to digital shopping and Amazon is better positioned than anyone else to grab a disproportionate share of that. So it's going to, you know, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. Absolutely there. Yeah. So, so in, in conclusion, you know, the way I would characterize it is, um, you know, short term, there's going to be some gyrations in the stock and you're going to read some headlines that, that make it seem negative, but you know, Amazon just kind of, so, so the tide of all online just rose to 25. Amazon's been chewing away at half of that. And I think they're going to make a move here to get above half of that. You're going to see more drivers, more more of the same stuff. And th- at the scale they're at, they can invest these amounts. And you said, you know, everyone else is on, you know, death's door. Um, you know, it, it really feels like there's this old political adage, don't waste a crisis. If it seems like Amazon is using this, this, you know, this crisis that obviously they didn't have a role in, but they're going to use it to, to, you know, increase, to, to increase their share of this hugely rising tide. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like I could summarize up everything in in uh, one terrifying statement, uh, you know, there was uh, apparently like prior to this, uh, Jeff Bezos had like delegated a lot more operation of the company and was kind of, you know, uh, disentangling himself from sort of the micromanagement that he he sort of was originally famous for. And as a result of COVID, he's like came back into the CEO seat and put both hands on the wheel. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I think that, you know, I think we you can see those fingerprints in a lot of these moves. Good news for you, Jason, is once you get kind of the crowd punched up with all the bad news, then this could be like that. Knock, and then you could be like, and let me tell you about Amazon's first quarter. Boom, knockout punch. Uh, exactly. I'm not a thousand percent sure how that's good news, but I'll, I'll roll with it. I'll take anything at this point. It's more bad news. Yeah. You're just going to like, you know, you got to tear them down before you build them back. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of doom and gloom and the personal cost to all this stuff is, is like just heart wrenching. Um, but you know, every, every forest fire like creates uh new, new growth. And uh, every time we've seen an economic downturn, amazing new companies of, and entrepreneurs have emerged. And I, you know, this, this totally sucks, uh, but I'm sure we're going to see all those things again. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully uh, everyone is able to, to weather through it. Um, and that's about the most optimism I can muster as we have gone way over time. Uh, if you stuck with us the whole time, I totally appreciate it. In the highly unlikely event that you uh, have enough energy for any questions or comments, <laughs> hit us up on our Facebook page or hit us on Twitter. Um, as always, if you like really long shows, a perfect way to reward us would be to jump onto iTunes and write us that five-star review. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And until next time, happy commercing. 
You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 